2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cramerica. America. People make friends, I'm going to try to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every day, this market gives you a chance to make some money. Yet every day, people reject those chances because... They just don't believe. It. They just can't figure out how stocks can do well when things are so bad out there. And things must be bad because a record 69% of the public holds a negative view of the U.S. economy, according to the latest CBC All America Economic Survey. So it's no wonder that the same survey says that just 24% of respondents believe now is a good time to invest in stocks. Dude, you know that's the lowest reading in the survey 17 year. History? Oh, yes, yes, yes. People simply don't feel good about the economy. But you know what? It doesn't seem to be impacting the averages, does it? The S&P's up more than 8% for the year, and today was just another day where the bears tried to push things down, but failed. Dow dipping 11 points. This would be inching up 0.09%. And the NASDAQ declining 0.04%, 0.09, 0.4, nothing. And you know what? People should not confuse their negative views on the economy with a negative view on making money in the stock market. Since when does your economic outlook have anything to do with making money in the market? We know from time, from years of experience here, it doesn't matter where we are in the business cycle as long as you can pick the right stocks at the right prices. And the market, I must tell you, gives those prices to you all the time. Not because it is a store with great prices, but because there's a confusing amalgam of truths, half-truths, false optimism, mistakes, and those all often wind up producing fabulous opportunities for you at home. So tonight I want to parse the whole shoot and match. People love to quote, for instance, Warren Buffett, especially when he says over the short term, the market's a voting machine over the long term, it's a weighing machine. Or to be more blunt, over the short term, the market's stupid as cardboard over the long term. it can be pretty smart. But in my opinion, you can be smarter. And that's the point of what I want to talk about tonight. Yes, I understand the 76 percent of you think it's a terrible time to invest. You're worried about the fight over the debt ceiling or the upcoming presidential election or the bitterly divided country or the fact that Federal Reserve is relentlessly raising interest rates to crush inflation. Reasonable concerns. But keep in mind, it's not you who determines the stock price. In fact, individual investors stopped being a major factor ages ago. They bet on the wrong kinds of stocks and gave up on the asset classes en masse. This time it was bogus SPACs or miserably placed IPOs. We've seen it all happen so many times. So it's not the home gamers who set prices, it's the professionals. And the professionals make stupid mistakes every day. Their mistakes are what I want you to think of as your opportunities. Let me give you an example because it happens constantly. As a matter of fact, I'll give you three of them. Let's start with a company you know I'm obsessed with NVIDIA. A year and a half ago, I made another pilgrimage to their headquarters in California to meet Jensen Wong, the Renaissance man CEO of NVIDIA. Now understand I have a tremendous level of reverence for this man. Everything we've seen, everything I've everything I had know about NVIDIA shows me that Mr. Mr. Wong is more thoughtful, special, and filled with wonderment than any other person I've met in business, save perhaps say Apple and Steve Jobs, and I never got to meet Mr. Jobs. Lately, we've heard a lot of, about this uh, stupid term, artificial intelligence. But we tend not to have any idea what it really means. We just like to bandy it about. Jensen explained it to me in plain English. He told me, if you put enough powerful, high-speed semiconductors together, they can do incredible things. I said, like what? He said, all right, anything. I said, well, uh, like if you want to draw a picture or something in the style of your favorite artist. Uh, I said, you mean if I wanted to, say, for instance, see how Cezanne, who painted still lifes, where instead to paint a seascape, you could actually show me what it would look like. Seconds later, it's in front of me. Seascape that had been done by Suzanne. I mean, he also showed me an artificially made me, uh, AI Kramer. Sounded and looked. Well, it looked better than me, actually, frankly. It sounded just like me though, because that stupid voice of mine. I told him these are wonders. He said it was all available to anyone who wanted to use it. Anyone. I said, who's the one who wants to use it? He goes, I don't know. But at first, no one believed. No one believed Jensen, and then. Chat GPT occurred. Now, everyone believes Jensen. They all went in. They all went into AI, and they know Nvidia stock's been the same because their chips are what powers AI. Today, they announced that HSBC, a brokerage firm of summer now, upgraded the stock from a sell, 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 sell. to a buy. Buy, buy, buy. That's right. He initiated coverage on NVIDIA with a sell rating on December 14th when the stock was at 176. It's now at 276. I'm calling that bad timing. This was right around the time that ChatGPT started getting popular. Suddenly, clients figured out what to do with NVIDIA's H100. That's the $20,000 chip that you need boatloads of if you want to do this AI stuff. It's the chip that we don't want the Chinese and have stopped the Chinese from getting. Now, in this analyst defense, and it's tough, but I'm going to do it anyway, NVIDIA's then core business of data center chips was slowing. And he was also worried about the usage of graphics cards for cryptocurrency mining. Headwinds galore. But he completely missed the story, didn't he? Since then, the stocks rallied 100 bucks. Sure, you could argue that Nvidia's nearing its highs because the last bear has finally thrown it in the towel. Heard that a lot today. I'm not here to debate that. I'm just pointing out that while it's discouraging to see even the professionals get it wrong, their mistaken negativity gave you an incredible buying opportunity in NVIDIA that lasted for months. That has nothing to do with the economy. Second example, Charles Schwab. In the last month, we've heard more negatives about Schwab than at any other time I can recall. We've heard about how their bond portfolio would wreck them, how their clients were fleeing like rats off a sinking ship, how they were caught with a mismatch of skittish depositors and unrecognized losses of their bond portfolio. I told you it was all nonsense. Nobody seemed to listen. I knew i get laughed at. YouTube, show it to me, you know, it's weird Twitter. Then Schwab reported yesterday and we learned that, indeed, most of those negatives were flat out untrue. In many cases, they were lies. Lies promoted by competitors, short sellers, lazy journalists. If you don't believe me, go read that conference call where CEO Walter Bettinger tees off on everyone who libeled his company liable with impunity. I should say, because nobody's ever going to investigate what happened here. Like Nvidia, though, I'm not here to say how much I love Schwab. I'm here just to show you how, once again, this may be the worst time to invest. But when a good company can see its stock fall more than 30 percent, when there was nothing really wrong, worst time to invest, but invest. Finally, let's talk about today's travesty, because there's one a day. I could do one a day. Just, I could just call it the Kramer Travesty Show. That would probably be misinterpreted, of course, but that happens often to me. Johnson Johnson, my investing club partner Jeff Marks and I spent hours, literally hours, examining why J&J could go up, up, up pre-market on an amazing quarter and then spend the rest of the day dropping, ultimately falling six points from where it was before the market opened. Why did it drop? All right, we fought one negative rumor after another after another after another about this great company. There were lots of lies that were put out today, lots of wrong stories. No one's ever going to have to apologize for what they did to you if you own J&J today. But lie after lie after lie, then throw in some slander, and then a few more lies. That's what happened. Until the end, like Schwab, it didn't matter. I couldn't fight them all. There's too many boxers, just me out there in the left-hand corner. Just getting like... Well, anyway, the, uh, the real issue here is that there was a bogus raid on J&J and it worked. And in the short term, the market was an idiot. The market's an idiot short term all the time. Again, am I telling you, by JJ? Not the point of the story. We went it for the trust. We buy it a ton more in a second, but now we're frozen. I think it's perfect. The whole point is that the pros get it wrong constantly, or they're actually trying to get it wrong, or they lie, or they misdirect, or they're naive, or they're short-sighted, or they're short, or they're trying to influence. All these things make it very difficult to invest, and they all happen. That's why you come to this show, because I tell you the truth about what happens. And the averages don't show it, but that's the truth. Bottom line, I don't blame you for freaking out and cashing out. But I do blame the professionals for destroying your confidence with their foolishness. Rather than being discouraged when they screw up, you should take advantage of the mistakes to buy high-quality stocks that they run from because they're scared or don't know how to do the work. Sonny in Illinois. Sonny.
0: Hey,
1: partner. It's your friend Sonny from Chicago, Illinois. How
2: are you? I'm doing well there. How about you? Doing well, doing well. Investment Club member and time yes. fan. Thanks for all that you do for us, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you well, listen well, to the you. home stretch. I come out fighting in that home stretch. It comes after 2 <laughs> o'clock. Me and Jeff Marks. Oh, no, no one believes. Yeah, at the end of you say to yourself, did he really say that? Did he really say that? That's what everyone says to me they say after that. What's up? How can I help?
1: Like you always say, just give me 10 minutes of, what is it, uncensored stuff? Or you whatever, bet. Right? That's
2: exactly what I say. Cadre. C a t r e. That's right. So I'm thinking okay. about uh, investing in, the, uh, in a steel company. I know you're a fan of Nucor, and I own yeah. some shares of that, but
1: I'm looking at another company that recently came out with um, confirming their guidance,
2: and uh, they've been cutting costs. What's your opinion on Cleveland Cliffs? All right, I actually think for the risk taker, the person really wants to just say, you know what, I believe that the economy is going to turn around and that the Fed is done, that, then you would buy Cleveland Cliffs, CLF. You would, because that one's going to go 17 to 30 in a heartbeat. Whereas Nucorse is going to go slowly, step by step, inch by inch. So I, I agree with your thinking, but only if you're bullish. All right. At times like these, I want you to drown out the negativity and find some high-quality stocks to buy in the weakness, even if they're telling lies about them and driving them lower. Pretty surprised of what you find out. Man, Money, tonight, with recession fears mounting, could an investment in a gold mine have your portfolio sitting in a gold mine? I'm checking in with Agnigo Eco to learn more about the story. And 2021 was a big year for IPOs. But where do some of these names stand now? Oh, you don't want to look. I'm grading the consumer facing companies that hit the public market in a crowded year. And Sydney hosted an Inter- Inter- investor day today. And I saw a lot of very impressive uh, metrics. So what we're going to do is we're going to sit down with the Jewelry Kingpin find out what's on the horizon with the top brass. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American
3: Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
1: Fact.
2: When the mini banking crisis hit us last month, we saw a flight to quality with people rushing to hide their money in treasuries or other safe assets like gold. And since then, even though the financial system stabilized, gold hasn't really retreated. It's still over $2,000 per ounce, and so you know I'm a gold bug and believe it can go much higher. I always tell you it's worth having some of the precious metal exposure. It's kind of insurance against instability. Don't trade it. Just own it. But the best way to do it, I think, is often with the, via the gold miners. So let's circle back to one we followed for a very long time, Agnico Eagle Mines. Now we haven't actually spoken to them in nearly four years, and during that time, a lot has happened, including a big merger with Kirkland Lake that was completed last year, and another deal where they just bought the Canadian assets of very different gold miner Yamana, which is one that we liked from when we started the show. That's the kind of expansion you want in an environment where the underlying commodity is going up. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Sean Boyd, the executive chairman of Ignico Eagle Mines, to get a better read on the situation. Mr. Boyd, welcome back to Mad Buddy. Yeah, great to be here, Jim. So, Sean, I've got to tell you, with these two acquisitions, I knew Yamana from when it was a three-dollar. That was, of course, you got the Canadian side, and Kirkland. I followed them for years. It seems like that maybe there's more money uh, to be made buying uh, the stocks that people don't really care about, without them realizing how much is in those different mines.
3: But I think you're right. and I think that's sort of where we are now. I think we've seen some inflationary pressure. We've seen some risks in the mine building uh, part of our business. And we determined uh, two or three years ago that uh, the balance was tipping more to buying assets rather than building them. And so we were very active over the last couple of years, as you, as you said, uh, positioning the company to be the third largest producer, producing about three and a half million ounces. So Um, The timing was really good. It's all about value. But more importantly, I think it's what you can do with these assets. And of that big production base, three quarters of it is in Canada now. Um, And that's our backyard. We've been doing this for over 60 years. So we like our positioning based on that M&A that's been uh, happening with us for the last couple of years.
2: Now, despite that money going out, you have remained very committed to to your dividend strategy, which is why I've always been a big fan.
3: Yeah. And that's been important. We've paid a cash dividend for 38 years. And so we did that, as we've said many times here, without the benefit of a hedge book when gold was $250. So it's all about discipline. It's all about uh, generating cash from these assets. So we're in a position now where, uh, as you said in the lead, uh, here's gold 3% off the all-time high without a lot of fanfare, very quietly sort of sitting here at 2,000, um, without a lot of investor interest. And I think what the interesting thing is now um, these businesses are set to generate significant cash flow, but the shares haven't performed. So if we go back to third quarter of 2020, uh, gold hit a record high. Um, our stock's about 46% off of the all-time high at that point, And many stocks are in the same position. So a little bit of capital flowing into the space is going to drive these share prices up. At these gold price levels, but we think we're going to see higher gold prices, as you said.
2: I always hear when I listen to the people, and I have total respect for anyone who does crypto, but they always say, you know what, Uh, gold, it's everywhere. It's abundant. But Crypto, no, it's limited. It turns out that I think crypto is unlimited because they create new coins every day. But what's amazing, since I've talked to you last, Sean, I've got to tell you, we have not found a lot of gold in this world. No,
3: and I think you're absolutely right. And as I've said, I've been doing this for I've been here for 38 years. And so if you look at our two biggest mines, so these are two of the top 10 gold producers in the world, Detour, which came with Kirkland Lake and Canadian Malartic, which we've owned half of since 2014. We just recently, as you said, with Yamana wrapped it up, 100 percent ownership in these assets. These assets have been around for decades. The Canadian Malartic mine was in production and starting in the 50s. Detour started in the early 80s. That means there's not a lot of gold mines new that are being found. That's why we're seeing M&A, because there's too many players, not enough high-quality opportunities. And I think this is what's driving M&A going forward, um, which I think is good for the gold price, because supply is not going to go up as gold price goes up, given lead time, excessive capex to build these mines. And what we like as we go back and look at these acquisitions, our backyard We can grow these assets given the skills that we have in place and the experience we have in these jurisdictions.
2: But it is very self, you've been very self effacing, and on your website you're always self effacing. There could be some electric costs that go up, or suddenly there's labor costs that go up. There have been a lot of unseen costs for some of your better minds in the last couple of years. How can we make the seen more and the unseen less?
3: Yeah, I I think what you've seen is given this inflationary environment, industry wide, we've probably seen about a hundred dollar increase in the cash cost to produce an ounce of gold. Uh, We've seen more than that increase in the gold price to cover that up. Uh, I think what we've got now is we've got an industry that's focused more on uh, cash generation, managing costs not so much focused on growth for growth sake, but focused on consolidating in regions that you know well so you can keep the cost down. The big reason for the Kirkland Lake acquisition is the $2 billion in synergies. Uh, Given these assets were really close together, regional proximity, and if you look at footprints, I think it's important with geology, with three-quarter geographic location of these assets. Small geographical footprint, we've got 2 million ounces of our three and a half in a small footprint in Ontario and Quebec, 80 million ounces of gold in this small footprint. So you can manage these assets better. That 80 million ounces of reserve and resource is equivalent to what Barrick and Newmont have in the entirety of their Nevada joint venture. That's why we bought Kirkland Lake. That's why we just wrapped up the other half of Canadian Malarctic with the deal with Yamana in our backyard.
2: Oh, last question. If you try to tell people that, that there's a lot of gold in the world, maybe the better way to put it is like what do you do? You think you add do you increase the amount of gold by say less than one percent a year that we have? Yeah, in the country, roughly the world? that's it. Right. Yes, that's right. And 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 so I think the real
3: question is is that you know, our experience over time is that the lead time from discovery to production is just getting longer. So gold can be up twenty to thirty percent more gold doesn't show up, it takes time. Right. And it's tougher now than it's ever been.
2: Well, that's why I like you, Sean, because you've been around. I love the dividend I mean, because you're paying the wait. till you. Just keep finding the good places. You're one of the few disciplined operators out there. I wish there were more like you, Sean. And thank you for coming back to Mad Money. Great to be here. Thanks, Jim. That's Sean Boyd, executive chairman at Deco Eagle Mines. I've got to tell you, they yield almost 3%. They have tremendous discipline, and they just added a huge amount of properties. If you're like me and you like gold, you want to consider owning a gold miner. We have my back. After break.
1: Coming up, Survivor Series. Which IPOs of recent years have passed muster? Kramer finds the gems from 2021.
3: Next.
2: Okay, last night we spoke to Prometheus Biosciences. That's the biotech that just got a monster takeover bid from Merck at a 75% premium. I bring this up again, not just because of what I said at the top of the show, that stocks are mispriced by professionals, not amateurs, but professionals all the time, but because Prometheus is one of the rare IPOs from the class of 2021 that's actually made you any money. At this point, this stock's up more than 900% from when he came public. And even before Merck's takeover bid, it was the best-performing stock of the nearly 400 names of its IPO cohort. But it's got me thinking about that generally awful group. Why? Because even though most of these stocks have been total dogs, (laughs) representing pieces of low-quality merchandise that were foisted on a credulous public, There were some decent ones that slipped by, too. They're just hard to find. When you look back at the 382 stocks that came public in 2021 and are still trading, because a lot of aren't, only 13% are above their offer prices. That is an astounding rate of disappointment that, again, goes far toward explaining why so many people feel it is a terrible time to invest. The companies, the bankers, they all made you feel like that because it was. Rather than taking a victory lap for warning you away from the group, though, I want to focus on those rare 50 names that have managed to defy the odds. The IPOs from that rotten 2021 vintage that have actually gone up. Why? Think about it. A company has to be awfully special to rise above its horrendous cohort, right? So we think it's worth spending some time with the rare companies that graduated with honors and how they are doing in the difficult post-IPO world. That's why all week we're going to be diving into those 50 names, searching for stories that could be, okay, maybe not the next Prometheus. That's too much to ask, obviously. But at least how about going in the right direction? And tonight what we're going to do is we're going to start with the ones that are, let's just say snackable, that are easy to feel in the business. We call them consumer-oriented plays. And first, somebody's gonna be familiar for those who watch the show all the time, but if you don't, we're gonna don't worry, we'll do a little fresher. The first is a company called Exponential Fitness. This is a gym chain where the stock is up 173% from its IPO price. Though it's a roll-up of the boutique fitness center space. They buy smaller concepts and then expand them rapidly. I have actually recommended this one repeatedly. Most recently after speaking to the CEO last November. Since then, it is up more than 50%, with the stock now setting new highs almost daily. In its most recent quarter, Exponential reported an excellent set of numbers with a very encouraging forecast, which allowed the stock to jump more than 16% in a single session. Of course, because this is a higher-end fitness play, they could get hurt in a recession, but we really haven't seen any signs of a slowdown here yet, so I've got to remain bullish here. I've got to. Okay, yeah, Exponential might be uh, a do-for-breather, I mean, a 50% gain in the last six months. If you bought this one on my recommendation and you made some money, always you always need take a, <laughs> you can take a little off the table. I never mind that, but you know what? Let the rest ride, please. Next, there's Sovos Brands, S-O-V-O-S. Now, that's a packaged food play that came public in 2021. It's now up 44% from its IPO price. Now, these are the same guys who hold the license to Rayo's branded sauces. The pastas and frozen foods. Now, for, for those of you who aren't from New York, uh, or at least the metropolitan area, Rao's is this, it's R-A-O, It's an institution. It's a place I love going to. And their packaged goods are really good. You'll see them, by the way, in almost every major supermarket does have their stuff. Sovos also has same, some uh, decent Italian and yogurt brands. I highlighted this one a little over a year ago. And after running a screen of recent IPOs with good cash flow, it stuck out to me. Since then, the stock's up 37 percent, although most of that gains come in the last month. Intersovice delivered a magnificent quarter with great guidance. But you could predict it. We saw this one coming. The problem. It now sells for, uh, for 29 times this year's earnings estimates, even as Wall Street expects the numbers to be uh, flat versus last year. I don't know. To me, that does look expensive. But then again, they've been able to beat the numbers for the past six quarters in a row. So maybe the estimates are too low and the stock has got more upside. That's what I like looking at. When you have these undervalued cohorts, when this is such a stinking class, you find companies that you just kind of give up on and say, oh, that's all there could be. And then they keep going and going like this, like this, and like this. Vita Coco. That's another member of the class of 2021. This stock's up 38% since it came back. I wish I would paid more attention to this one. These are the guys who make Vita Coco branded coconut water. It's in my house, for heaven's sake, and I didn't mention it. Along with an energy drink called I don't know them, and some sustainable enhanced water brands, whatever that is. This company didn't have a great year in 2022, but sales were up. And, and there, there was a big earnings hit. This year, though, Vita Coco's on track to more than quadruple its earnings year over year. Now, can it make those numbers? Honestly, I'm not sure. That said, I'd love to have these guys on the show. Please come on the show. Bring some of your, your water. I love it. Uh, sure, it trades at 33 times earnings, but that's not too expensive given the potentially turbocharged growth rate. Plus, whenever you see one of these smaller beverage companies, you've got to remember that it's a potential takeover for the majors. We've seen that time and again since we started the show. So I'm all over this one. These are all really good companies that got buried in just a really miserable vintage. Fourth is another beverage play, Dutch Bros. Now, this one's a little more tricky. That's the coffee and energy drink chain with the regional and national growth story. Even though the stock's up 33% from where it came public in 2021, the stock initially surged to $81 not long after the IPO. It's now at 30 and change. As much as I like the Dutch Bros, i got to admit that uh, they may have to Let's say uh, they got to give us a spark here. They had a 1% same-store sales growth last year. And this low low single-digit numbers they're forecasting for 2023, not good enough. Now, long-term, everybody who watches this show knows that I have a winner here, and it's going to be a great one. And we added just the other day, and uh, we had a caller. I said, yeah, I do like it. But short-term, I think they're spending too much time expanding and too little time paying attention to same-store sales. And that is a risky view, too risky. Viewers know I support the company and the stock. Dutch Pros knows coffee. I know stocks. They know coffee better than me. I know stocks better than they do. You want your stock to go up, guys? Focus on some same-store sales improvement, not getting to a certain number of stores in a short period of time. It rarely, if ever, works. Slow down the expansion plans. Get the same-store sales up, and then I will start pounding the table again. Fifth, let's not forget Kramer Fave. And I'm just, look at, whoa. On Holding. On Holding, the Swiss sneaker company that could be the next great growth story in footwear. We had both co on the show the other day. The company reported a blog quarter last month. They make a compelling case. I think On is still in its early innings, which means the stock could have a lot more room to run. you got to love these guys. I think 2023 is going to be gigantic for On. Finally, uh, this is another one that's kind of like, well, Dutch Bros is shooting itself in the foot. This one. This is this Portillo's. Uh, I think it's fantastic. When I was in Chicago selling some my wife's mezcal, we, of course, had to go to Portillo's. The thing came public in 2021. Stocks up nearly 2% from its IPO price. Not exactly impressive performance. But this sad group of 2021 IPO names is a graded on a curve situation. Portillo's has been. Too much, i been to much higher levels in the past. But aside from this market-wide IPO bust, well, it's had many self-inflicted problems. See, Portillo's used to be wholly owned by a private equity firm, which still has a large stake. It's not the family here that's doing the selling. Every time the stock gets on a roll, their private equity sponsor dumps millions of shares into the market, untimely and miserably, and the rally immediately comes to an end. It's like they just don't care. They probably have made so much money on it. Maybe they don't. Eventually, they're going to finish their selling. And at that point, I'm a believer in Portillo's again. Even as I think these private equity guys have been buried, they've buried you alive with their sales. And it's gotten to the point where it's downright embarrassing, frankly. Portillo's Italian beef sandwiches are truly that good. Maybe even on par with those made by Carmi at the original beef in, in Chicagoland. By the way, the bear's very good if you haven't seen it. Carmi would never dump stock like the way these private equity guys are doing. He had class. Bottom line, where most of the IPOs for the class of 2021s have been total duds, if not just miserable, awful situations, there were some quality names right here. And the good ones stand out because they're the only ones that are up. And many of these are worth owning when you do some digging. Tonight we went to the consumer rares. I'll cover the rest of those rare IPO winners through the rest of the week. Stop selling the darn stock! Maybe they heard me. Maybe they didn't. Kevin in Texas. Kevin. Booyah, Jim. How's it going? It's, it's just a fantastic old day here. How about you? Oh, hanging in there. Just missing my dad. Um, we all do, don't we? Yeah. yeah. All right.
4: We We're all do. I think it pop every club.
2: minute. Yep. It's, a, It's well, yes. And we support each other. Thank you. Yes, What's sir. going on? I got a question about Upstarch. I love their technology. Their AI is fantastic. I believe that they will be replacing FICO scores in the near future. I've been buying on the way down. I've started a position at $150. i have been continuing to buy. My question is, should I buy, sell, hold, or move? It to- I, I don't want you to buy any more of it. Uh, and I'll tell you why, Kevin, because I, I want to see them uh, get out of this funk that they're in. I mean, they do have good technology, right? But they have not done well. And I'm not recommending any stocks of companies that are losing money. That's just my rule on mad money. And it's kept us all out of a lot of bad stocks. And I'm going to continue to follow my rule. All right, despite the wreckage among most of the IPOs from 2021, there are some quality names within the group, but you have to know where to look, and you have to get some of the people who are selling the stocks because they're so greedy to stop. All right, much more mad money ahead, including my Susan, with Signet. Could the stock of the jewelry company continue to shine in this tape? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Then the market's so focused on taming inflation and what the Fed's next move could be, but is it possible that we're in a better situation than we all think? We'll give you my take and all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. talk about one of the greatest turnaround stories of our era, Signet Jewelers, the parent of K Jewelers, Jared, Zales, Blue Nile, and several other brands. Under the leadership of CEO Gina Adrosos, Signet's gotten out of bad businesses like offering credit while stabilizing its core jewelry sales, investing in technology, expanding pretty aggressively, and closing 1,000 underperforming stores. And that's how the stock rallied more than 800% over the past three years, even as it's come down pretty substantially from its 2021 highs. Today, Singit hosted an Investor Day event here at the New York Stock Exchange, where they rolled out some really exciting new financial targets, including an earnings per share goal of $14 to $16. That's up from less than $12 last year. No wonder the stock jumped more than 3%, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's got more room to run, because this has become a disruptive, extremely profitable, category-killing winner. After that investor event, we got a chance to speak with Drosos, the turnaround artist, CEO of Signatures. Take a look. Jenna, this is a triumphant day for you, and you deserve it, and you've done some amazing things. But first, out of this Investor Day, there was a bit of news that I think is going to be significant for shareholders, which is that you actually talked about this new engagement tailwind factor post-COVID that could boost your earnings dramatically over the next three years.
4: Yeah, it was a very exciting day. Thanks so much, Jim. We uh, actually raised our midterm expectations for revenue uh, up to nine to $10 billion for market share, up to 11 to 12%. And we said we would continue to deliver non-GAAP double-digit annual operating margin. We said between 11 to 12%. One of the big tailwinds on that, worth about $600 million to us, is the fact that engagements didn't happen as much at the end of last year there's a trough going on right now in calendar year 23, but that will end toward the end of this year. And then we'll have several years of tailwinds. We expect it to be a 20 to 25% tailwind between calendar uh, 2024 and calendar 27.
2: Now, why this is so important beyond the fact that the numbers are obviously too low is that you have repeatedly set what many people thought were way big stretch goals, and you've beaten them. And I want to give you the floor to just talk about what you inherited and what you've done, and the dramatic changes, including amazing amount of cash you've been able to generate, that's made your story into the investable story that it is today.
4: Well, thanks for that. Um, I'm very proud of the Signet team. I mean, they have done a terrific job bringing us into a period of significant financial health, and that means we can invest in the business. So we, over the last several years, have invested $750 million in digital data and technology advantages. These have now become substantial advantages for Signet, especially because we know that 78% of jewelry shoppers start their journey online. At the same time, we've paid down half a billion dollars in debt. We've gone from a four times leverage ratio to two times, which is very healthy and below our 2.75 times target. Uh, we've, we've also been able to return $1.4 billion to shareholders in that period of time. So becoming a financially healthy company has really given us the ability to consistently invest for competitive advantage.
2: And I see things like, we, here's Blue Nile. I've talked to you before about it. There's something you bought at, at a rock bottom price, for, you know, $360 million. I think this thing could be worth a huge amount two, three years from now.
4: Well, it's an asset that we had been looking at for a while. Uh, That's one of the benefits of our cash flow. Every year since we began our transformation, on average, we've generated $800 million of free cash flow. So when an asset like Blue Nile came down in price, we were able to opportunistically uh, take advantage of that moment to make an acquisition that we'd been looking at for a while. We did the same thing with Diamonds Direct, and both of those acquisitions we think are very powerful for us. You know,
2: I know some wags were saying, well, you got ask about this David's bridal going bankrupt. And I'm saying, well, why don't you listen to what you're going to say? These are, this is apples and oranges. What you've got going is a juggernaut at this point.
4: Well, we're very excited about Cygnus potential, uh, and it is a transformed company. Um, I did an investor perception study before we had our investor day today, day and, uh, and you'd be surprised to know that a lot of people still think that we have credit uh, as I a know. risk on I our know. balance sheet. Tried so hard. <laughs>
2: Isn't it discouraging? I mean, you and I have talked about <laughs> this endlessly, that that's so nice. – it's like you had to rename the – I don't know what to do about it. It's, a
4: legacy that you uh, ended day one. Well, it's, you know, it's not a risk for Signet. We have no credit risk on our balance sheet. We, uh, we are a very modern retailer. We have 40% of our stores, 50% of our sales off-mall. And our mall portfolio is very healthy. 80% of our mall stores are in A and B malls. And that's because we closed over a thousand low performing doors. I mean, we, we took the time to get this transformation right and it's really made a difference for the
2: business. Right, so look, I know you as a competitive person. You were a competitive <laughs> proctor. Uh, I know you're someone who likes to win and you're also a sports fan. Do you you not find it unbelievable that you are in the Super Bowl year after year, and yet people think you're not making the playoffs?
4: (laughs) Well, that's a great analogy, and that's really what today was all about. I mean, I think uh, one of the facts that I shared today is that um, over the last several years, Signet has outperformed the S&P 500 by 1.5 times, the the XRT by 2 times, We've taken our operating margin from, you know, a low in mid-single digits now consistently up in, in low double digits. And so we're very proud of the progress we've made.
2: In the meantime, you don't lose sight of the prize. you got Mother's Day coming up. Will that, will that be a big day? Do you have any advanced feelings? You have AI. You must get a sense of what the consumer's up to, whether they're feeling up to buy, buy a nicer Mother's Day uh, j- piece of jewelry.
4: It's one of the enduring things that came out of COVID is that people are spending more money on fewer people that they care a lot about. So Hold Mother's on, I understand, understand it. Yeah.
2: They're spending more money on fewer people. So exactly. Not, they're spending on the people who love clothes and not just That's across the board.
4: That's exactly right. So both Valentine's Day and Mother's Day have become bigger holidays for jewelry and signet benefits from that.
2: Now, uh, when you look at the – you laid out the 11%, 12%. I have no doubt about that. What's the big goal here? I mean, is, is, is there – not one company can have 25% of the jewelry market. What else can you do?
4: Well, Signet already has about a thirty percent share of the bridal category, so okay. I think that sets a benchmark for us. We started there because bridal is the emotional and financial point of market entry in the category. It's you know the first time a couple has really made such an expensive uh, investment together many times, and so we think that leads to lifetime value. Um, so you know we believe well, we can. Lifetime value use- of a customer. Have you been exactly. able to identify
2: a number for a person who buys at the beginning?
4: Not one that, um, that we've talked about publicly, but yes, we have looked at how we can think about bridal as that entry point, that services is the right. glue that holds it together yeah. as we have extended service plans, repair opportunities, and then we look at romantic gifting as an opportunity for birthdays, right. for Mother's Day, for Valentine's Day, all of those. So we really think that our leadership position in bridal is the springboard to grow our market share further. Well,
2: i got to hand it to you. And uh, People don't know, but when Jim first took the job, I was one of those people. I went out to one and I said, like, look, I don't even know if you should take this job. <laughs> Let me tell you what I think's going on. And she said, you don't know, Jim. Let me have a crack at this thing. Well, I just am so proud. Everything you said and then so much more. It's been a great winner for shareholders, for the company, and for you. Jennifer Drossos, CEO of Signature's on a big investing day where all she did was blow away the numbers once again. Stay with
1: Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next,
2: it is time. It's time for the lightning round. Chris, Mary, bye. of course, one the Bye bye. Bye. So, 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 and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the light round, crazy everybody. Let's go with Craig and Cowboy and Craig. Booyah, Ski Daddy. Chill, Master J. Yo, yo, chill's in the house. What's up?
3: Uh, yeah, I've been looking at this uh, fast food stock. Uh, seems to trade at
2: the lowest uh, multiple in the sector, around 14 times earnings. Uh, got a PEG ratio under one uh what's your long-term thoughts on jack-in-the-box will it pop oh, okay. up okay okay so i look number one is chipotle and then number two would be mcdonald's number three would be Wingstop, and then number four is Yama, and number five is jack-in-the-box so those are the five and how i rank them let's go to matt in north carolina matt
3: hey kramer thanks for all the money you've been making
2: me my pleasure what's happening Uh, Penske Automotive Group is up like 600% in three years. You know know why that is? Because they are so darn good. I mean, look, I like the Lithia guys that drive the AutoNation, whatever. Penske is the smartest guys. That's why they're winning. I want to take more calls. it's It's my anniversary, and I frankly want to cancel dinner and just take calls. Let's go to Khalid in Florida. Khalid. She's not watching. Come on. Yeah. What's up? Oh, good. I just wanted to know about M-A-R-A. No, you don't. No, you do not want to know about M-A-R-A. Just go buy Bitcoin. If you're going to go that route, just go buy the bit. Let's go to Skylar in California. Skylar. Skylar Phoenix here. Thank you. Jimmy, booyah. Booyah. I appreciate everything you do. My stock is Microsoft. I bought it back in January. Well, Mr. Softy, Mr. Softy going to 320. Why are we even debating it? Going to 320. Oh no, I'm not. I need more calls. Are you telling me I got to go have dinner with my wife for my anniversary? I guess I do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Coming up, pessimism is in the air, but Kramer has a prettier picture to
2: share. Next. We're so worried about how the Fed needs to keep tightening to beat inflation that we don't seem to realize the economy is in much better shape than most people believe. We should think twice about killing this great moment. It's taking too long to get here, and it can all be undone if the Fed's too stubborn about tamping down wage inflation at what could now be a considerable cost to other aspects of the economy and the polity, for that matter. I know that might sound crazy, but if you listen to all the conference calls from the major banks like I do, you get a picture of a nation where jobs are plentiful, housing defaults are nil, auto payments and credit card payments are coming in on time. And as Brian Moynihan from Bank of America would tell you, his bank, which I regard as a national bank, has the lowest provisions for bad debt in 53 years. Years. 53 years, for heaven's sake. That's what we're celebrating. That's all thanks to the incredible job market, the one the Fed's now trying hard to unwind. We also learned today that we had a better than expected number of housing starts last month. Something that's great news because the worst part of consumer inflation right now is the cost of shelter, which means rentals. As I see it, the only way to stop the relentless rent increases is by building more homes. We sure don't have that now, but the housing starts number are a step in the right direction. So maybe if we let this nascent move percolate, the landlords will think twice about endless price hikes, which could cause the CPI to cool faster than expected. More important, the consumer is flush right now. After Bank of America reported some monster good results, CEO Brian Moynihan pointed out that smaller savers, who had $2,000 to $5,000 pre-pandemic, now have $13,300 in their council on average. Those who had five to 10 grand pre-pandemic now have more than $21,500. These are real meaningful savings. I know we don't want inflation to erode their purchasing power, but we also want them to keep growing, don't we? These numbers are now outrunning our reduced inflation rate. That's important. Look, when we had inflation, it was 8%. It made sense for the Fed to ruthlessly raise interest rates because 8% inflation is truly destabilizing. We're not there anymore. At this point, I think the Fed should start worrying about whether it really wants to destroy this pretty decent village in order to save it. Do they want to take short-term rates so high that it's simply not worth putting your cash in anything other than money market funds or treasuries? Is that the goal? Stop investment in anything that's not risk-free because risk-free is so unnaturally positive? I don't think so, because that's a guaranteed recession. Or consider this. In another two months, we're going to have more than two million people graduating from college looking for a job. I think that unlike the last few years, these kids might have a harder time finding one. How could they not? If all we ever hear about is we're heading to a recession, what employer is going to be on a hiring spree other than an insanely optimistic, if not delusional one? And when you have something like generative AI with the potential to disrupt so many fields, it makes sense for executives to hold off on hiring to see what jobs this technology can destroy. Why hire someone if you might have to lay them off in six weeks thanks to ChatGPT? Why not just wait to see what happens and what it can do? AI doesn't need health insurance, no HR problems, they're higher. Look, at the end of the day, we're, we've never had so much opportunity for so many different people in our country, at least when it comes to finding jobs. And I worry the Fed's now going to start sacrificing those opportunities on the altar of price stability with two or maybe even three or more rate hikes. If I were them, I'd do one last 25 basis point hike, then say, let's slow it down. Let's see what the job market looks before we make our next move. We don't have to wait long. If all those new college graduates can get jobs, then the Fed's got my blessing to tighten again. Otherwise, though, why not just wait a little longer to see what all this talk about a recession and generative AI can do to soften up the labor market? What's the harm in being prudent? At the end of the day, I'd rather have 3% inflation and a decent economy than a recession that lets the Fed hit its 2% inflation target. I like to say there's always a book market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Met Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.